As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to Reaching New Heights. I'm Sonia Heitz-Susan. The reason I'm doing this podcast is to inspire you to get out and really live your life rather than just go through the motions. You know, you only get one shot at this. There are no do-overs in life. So this podcast is about people who are living their best lives, people who are taking risks and challenging themselves, people who, when they're on their deathbed, can say, Man, that was a good ride. My first guest is Steve Cannon. Steve is an ultra-endurance athlete. He is an author and an entrepreneur. He's the first person to run around Lake Michigan, logging more than 1,000 miles in 40 days. He's run across Iowa and finished more than 100 marathons. He's also completed dozens of bike races and earlier this year conquered the Iditarod Trail Invitational. It's a 1,000-mile race from Anchorage to Nome, Alaska, and he finished it in 26 days, 2 hours, and 33 minutes. We caught up with him a few weeks after the race. The Iditarod Trail Invitational was just your most recent adventure, but you have done so many other things. I mean, running across the state of Iowa, running around Lake Michigan, um, 40 days straight, which I have the book here, 40 days. Um, all kinds of bike races and all kinds of conditions and lengths and I think the thousand miles is the longest you've done as far as a bike race correct yeah yeah as far as a bike race yes but I want to go back let's go back to your childhood <laughs> um, you talk about in one of your books about your uncle Bob <laughs> yeah was he the biggest influence on you is that why you one of the reasons that you started doing this kind of crazy a lot of people Think this is just crazy the stuff that you do he he definitely was the one that planted the seed so he doesn't remember saying this and but I remember at some point he he said I just thought you were gonna end up just being a punk kid from the city and he's right because that's what that's what I was growing up I had no direction I wasn't one of those kids reading Louis L'Amour books or things like that, thinking about far off places. My parents got divorced when I was young and that just started an entire like 20 year chapter of Rage Against the Machine where anybody said left and I was going right. Uh, but in that, during that time period, he did invite me to go on a trip with him and his son to the Boundary Waters canoeing. And I'd never been in the wilderness, period. And that, that, was, that was something, it wasn't as if I came back as a 14-year-old and had this epiphanous moment. But it certainly, it certainly planted a seed that just sat without water for a long, long time. But that was the first sort of, whoa, there's this thing called the outdoors. Who are the other influencers in your life? Hmm. I know you have many, but try to narrow it down a little bit. Oh, that's a great question. 
my 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 father in a very negative way in that uh, that's still a process getting through all of that my father was an alcoholic um, mentally abusive wonderful man at heart like everyone is that deals with those demons but the alcohol turned him into the worst version of himself so there was certainly in a weird sort of way I'm grateful but I wish that he could have become the man that he could have been mm -hmm. but uh, but that was an influencer because even though I followed in his footsteps for a long time, funny how that works, I'll never be like you and end up... Being like them. Yeah, and uh, uh, but eventually coming out of that, but there was definitely uh, rebellious, like I'm never gonna be, if you're saying I should do this, then I'm never gonna do that, and uh, that put me in a very unhealthy place in a lot of ways, but it did keep me sort of in this I'm gonna stay away from the crowd. I'm gonna do things different. I'm gonna do things my own way in a destructive way for many years and now though in a very constructive way. But in on the very back side of that was my parents then getting divorced and this gentleman by the name of Bradley Bork coming into my mom's life, a dentist from Minneapolis. I grew up in Burlington and we moved there and just a really steadying rock outdoorsman no bullshit kind of guy that was exactly what I needed at that time in my life in so many different ways just teaching me self-responsibility I can remember still being on this path of self-destruction and thinking it was cool to be the kid that could drink the most or try to drink the most and that's where I was fitting in and just that's just so not the case it's never the case but coming home at four o'clock in the morning and sneaking in and <laughs> I tell the story in the book and there was a little bell on the back of the door and you know I mastered the art of coming in <laughs> so that it wouldn't ring even one little bit and you know getting it closed really and just turning around and him being right in my hey <laughs> oh! and and it was one of the great lessons right off the bat is he said look if you're going to be in this house there's going to be some rules but you get to set how you want this to play out but he says if you get to bed at 11, you can sleep as late as you want. If you get to bed at 12, it's 6. If you get it here at 1, it's 4. If you get here at 2, it's 3. And if you get here at 3, don't even bother going to bed. There's going to be work for you to do. And I tested him one time at 3 o'clock in the morning, and he was there waiting for me, and he gave me an ax and took me out back and had me chopping wood. And and it was just this great thing because for the first time I had this person that said look you get to make your own choices but your choices do have consequences mm -hmm. and it was just such a different lesson versus somebody just saying like no you can't mm -hmm. you have to do this or you have to so you know when it was 10:45 and I was out with friends I had to really think all right 
what do I want to do? Is the next hour worth it? Because, you mm -hmm. know, but, but it was the first lesson in self-responsibility. And, uh, and then the outdoors, he opened up the outdoors. He took me out pheasant hunting, took me duck hunting. Those things involved getting up early in the morning and seeing sunrises and um, being around other people that are, you know, you're getting in a boat and you're going out on a lake and it's still dark and you're throwing decoys out on the water. And it, that was, and then fast forward to influencers, a guy locally here, uh, Rusty Bishop that owns Gong Fu Tea. Mm -hmm. I saw him speak at a conservation thing. They were doing, um, Iowans doing crazy things kind of. So a guy that had kayaked the Mississippi River. Or, but Rusty had done the Marathon de Sables, this race across the Sahara. Right. You carry all your own gear. He'd done all of these crazy runs. And he was the first person to run across Iowa. And I can remember sitting in that, in that uh, room that night, thinking, "I wonder, I wonder if I could do that." Um, and then probably my biggest influencer in the crazy stuff realm is a guy named Marshall Ulrich, and uh, he is, for my money, the greatest adventure athlete the United States has ever had. He's climbed all the major peaks in the world. Uh, he has completed more Badwater ultra marathons by a long shot than anybody else. I mean, his bio is just, uh, it's astounding. And he came and was the keynote speaker here for the Des Moines Marathon years ago. And uh, it was just so generous with his time. And I was, that at the time I was um, training to, or at least had the idea and it said I was going to run around Lake Michigan and uh, I said hey you know do you have five minutes and he just he just was like yeah let's talk and um, so he, he was a big influence and we're still friends to this day we we uh, we keep in touch and so um, you know and then I mean number one's always my mom yeah I was just gonna bring that up your mom who's been there I, I mean for you through all this and I mean she I was reading in here she started you off on the 40 days around Lake Michigan she was there for in there at the end um, talk a little bit about her everything starts and finishes with her I'd be dead without her that's just all there is to it when I was hell-bent on destruction the kind of kid that no mom would want her kid to grow up to be. I can't even imagine watching what that must be like, watching your own son self-destruct. And she's a great mother. She always was. She was stern. She was loving. She was funny. She was adventurous. Just all of these things. There was no reason why she should be burdened with a son that you know eventually ends up in jail and I just think golly what a shit I was and how difficult that must be to you know we're in a small town Mediapolis Iowa everybody knows everybody's mm -hmm. thing so you know she's the mom with the drunk kid you know now he's in trouble again now he's in jail uh, I'll never be able to but it was her 
unending love always there always to say like not to say that it's all right it wasn't that kind of hand like it'll be uh, it wasn't that but it was just she was always there and and so until the lights go out i'll keep pushing and keep doing as much as i can to make her proud so what was the turning point for you back of a cop car second drunk driving i knew i had a problem i knew i was just a shell of who i was supposed to be and i didn't have the guts to stop you know it's just it's crazy to be on a train that you know is going the wrong way and every so often it stops you have the ability to get off and you don't that's just madness and that's the that's the train i was on you know, once one foot off no 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 that's too scary i know this space i'm popular here blah 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 if any of you are listening to this and you have that you if you can hear me then you can hear me and you know you can bullshit yourself or not I don't care but if you can hear me then do something about it because the life on the other side is just I couldn't have imagined it all I wanted to do is just try to find myself again try to be able to wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and say that's not a bad dude like he's going the right way and I hadn't been able to do that since I was 16 years old and when I got stuffed in that cop car the second time I was in my mid-20s and I remember sitting in there just as drunk as you could be from all day of drinking at a tailgater and having perfect clarity and a sense of relief like all right now it's over I've got myself in so much trouble that no one, even my closest drinking buddies, could not blame me or give me any grief about quitting because I'm going to jail. You know, I didn't know how long I was going to jail. Thankfully, it was just, a, not just, but it was, it was a second drunk driving. I hadn't hit anybody. I hadn't killed myself. I hadn't done things that, you know, other people have done that are essentially good people that have made really bad cho choices that affect them the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. But that was the turning point for me. I, at, at that very moment, I, I absolutely remember saying, it's finally it's time. over. It's finally over. And I, I, haven't, I haven't looked back from there. It's not like I took off and ran a marathon the next day. Well, I, had, <laughs> I had no, I, I had no, there were no visions of anything. I just, I just knew I was going to take every step necessary so that I didn't drink anymore. And that was scary enough. I didn't need any other challenges. So then when do you make the transition then to, okay, I'm going to try to get my life straight. I'm going to quit drinking. And now I'm going to go do these crazy adventure endurance races. What started you down that path? You know, when I, when I look at, and it's not to compare me to these great, athletes or great successes but so often you see this person in the public eye and again I'm not that person but from my experience and it seems like they just poof wow where did this guy named Tom Hanks come from you know he's in big and you think 
Oh, he's just always been a movie star. Or George Clooney, perfect example. Everybody, or most people that, you know, they, they've seen the picture of him on a soap opera when he was 24 years mm-hmm, old with mm-hmm. hair down here. And, <laughs> you know, nobody, you, nobody looked at that mm-hmm. and went, oh, someday he will be our version of, you know, the greatest movie star, Clark Gable, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. So you see this and you think, oh, a guy ran 40, the equivalent of 40 marathons, or he did the I did ride. And, you know, I love that you asked me about my story because I don't come from anything exceptional. And it's what Expand Your Possible is all about is just be a better version of you. And that doesn't have to mean you win a gold medal at the Olympics, just win a gold medal in life. Mm-hmm. Just be the best Sonia you can be, be the best Steve you can be. That's that's winning the deal, right? And so, again, I had no thoughts of any of this stuff. I eventually got my head clear, and I think that allowed for that seed that we talked about with going to the boundary waters, you know, to get a little light and, and get a little sunshine and a little water, and uh, a friend was really getting into rock climbing, not so much outside as he was, because there's not a lot of that in Iowa. There are some really great places, but not just right around the corner. But indoor climbing, like we've got that big giant now um, climb Iowa right. down in the East Village. And I went the first time and just, I was hooked. Hooked to the point where, <laughs> it's funny because this would have been the first real I guess maybe even with drinking, it was this way. Everything I get interested in, I just go all in, all in. And it was six months after I went on my first little rock climbing in the field house in Iowa City that uh, I loaded up my vehicle with a little more than a thousand dollars to my name. And I went to Colorado to live in a guy's basement. No life plan whatsoever. I just wanted to go where rock climbing was the deal. And climb rocks every day and that's what I did until my money started to run out and then I had to come home but in that time in Colorado then all of a sudden I'm surrounded by this multi-sport culture this completely healthy culture everybody's doing something there you know I remember being in Colorado for a while and I was just like wow there's just not very many big people around here. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody seems like they're pretty fit. And it was, and then I didn't know anybody because all I was doing was rock climbing. I thought, well, I should probably make some friends. So I went and did a, I signed up for a 5K, which. To meet girls, right? Yeah. I thought, <laughs> that's the only way I'm going to ever have a social life. <laughs> and what better place than, like, a running event. They're fit, they're healthy. You know, unfortunately, they were all faster than me, so I couldn't catch any of them. But, <laughs> but that was that was the start. And even after finishing that, there was no oh, I mean, it sucked. It was 33 minutes. I thought I was going to die. I only finished because there was no place to sneak off the <laughs> course without somebody no, no, noticing you and heckling the hell out of you. So I sort of had to finish, but. Anybody that's done anything like that knows that maybe 10, 15, 30 minutes, an hour afterwards, you get this rush. Uh And that 
was an eye-opener and like that felt good even though that 33 minutes sucked I'm actually kind of proud of myself and I feel good and the next day I was sore and I was kind of proud of that soreness as well and so I thought well maybe next time I can beat 30 minutes you know and that that was it and so but you'd have to fast forward so far because every time where you think oh I'll try a 10k oh shit Mm -hmm. finishing my half first half marathon in Iowa City standing at the finish line turning around and looking backwards and thinking you could pay me all you wanted and I would not turn around and run back to be able to say that I did a marathon not because not because I don't want your money just because mentally physically spiritually it's it's not a it's not a possibility and so when you say how do you get I got to where I am the same way everybody gets right the guy that started you know the guy that's the CEO of Amazon probably at the age of six had the most successful lemonade stand ever but nobody ever walked away from that lemonade stand and goes, you know, that's probably a billionaire right there. You tap into something, though, that I think is really interesting. I was just talking to uh, someone about this yesterday, actually. And I believe that greatness is within all of us. It's just believing in yourself that you can be great. Would you agree? Yeah, this will start to get really fun if we start going down this line, if we start, if we start talking <laughs> that sort of language because you saying that gives me goosebumps it turns everything inside of me on because that's it that's it and and that greatness that we believe is within us if we actually do believe it is 10x what we actually can even comprehend that it is i've seen it I've experienced it with myself that that whatever is the biggest stretch you can imagine for yourself that might be 50% of what you're actually capable it's probably even less than that but this gets in the way but you're exactly right I heard something the other day and it talks to exactly what you're saying which is if you water your interior garden the flowers will bloom and it's exactly, I mean, this is a miracle. The fact that we are actually born, right? And so it wasn't, that this didn't happen so you could be ho-hum. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the creator, whatever the creation is, I just don't believe it was like, yeah, let's put another couple million just okay people on the planet no way no way everybody has something in them that nobody else can do and so absolutely that's I mean each one of these humans were are here as a miracle as a unlimited possibility just a matter of whether or not you want to take the ride uh, you talked a little bit about spirituality. Do you have, do you believe in a higher, you must, a higher being? Do you believe in God? What's your, do you have some type of spiritual path that you are going down or? Uh, 
Wow. I guess are you it's, are you religious? Is that, I guess that's what I'm asking. Religion for me was counterproductive. There was a lot of guilt. There was a lot of spirituality for me, and I think religion, at its root, is rooted in love. But I think it has become something entirely different, and because of it, incredibly divisive. If you don't believe in my God, then I'm going to blow up your temple. If you don't believe in what I believe, you can't be my friend. Just whereas spirituality, I think, still is this thing that people see as all-encompassing. If you're a human being, and I'm a human being, then then we've got that in common, and that's all that matters. But meditation is a huge part of my life. Kind of tuning this, if you will, right? I mean, we we take care of our cars, we take care of our all of these other things in our, our computer gets a bug, we flip the hell out, <laughs> right? That's right? right? Yeah. So, so why not the same with this, taking a certain amount of time every day to be present, to really check in, to, to spend time watering this, making, and so, yeah, that, that, that's really important to me, and it's, it's had great benefit to me to just get into that space of what's the best I can be and if I have a religion it's love and that's that's where it goes not just for you but for me as well so you were saying that if you think you can do something you can probably do 50% more did you feel that way during the I did a trail invitational. Did you, mm -hmm. when you got done, were you like, I can go back and do that again? Yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the real payoff for any of this. Call it your first 5K. You got off the couch, you stepped into an uncomfortable, because anytime you decide you're gonna grow, you're gonna leave some things behind. You're gonna make other people uncomfortable, you're gonna make yourself uncomfortable, but you finish that and you think, what if? if? If I just did that, am I capable of more? And if you, it's great to ask yourself questions. It, it awakens things. And I wasn't always certain during the Iditarod or any other challenge that mentally that I could because I hadn't done it before. Mm -hmm. But I did know and I do believe, and there were times during the Iditarod that I would remind myself of those the first time I did a 5K. Like, you didn't know you could do that, but you hung in there mm -hmm. one step at a time. I didn't know I could do it. I didn't know I could do it. But I, and so you, and so there were those same kind of moments, many of those during the Iditarod where just because I haven't doesn't mean I can't. And so, I'm going to just stay in the fight. I'm not gonna ring the bell. And each day that I got through or I got through something really tough, I would become my own best cheerleader. I'd be like, you are one tough son of a gun, man. <laughs> like, if you can do that, if you can get through that, you can get through anything. 
and and continuing to to foster that that belief that if you feel like you're really at the end Dan Gable used to say when you're completely cashed in you're probably 50% of what you can do and that will happen you've experienced it I'm sure there's times in races where you're like I am I am at my limit and if you will hang on and even double down and push harder something happens in here where it goes oh shit she's not going to quit right. she's actually <laughs> going harder we better get on board right yes everybody everybody that's done a 5k 10k any kind of endurance race knows this is true because one mile from the finish line you always find this extra yes so it's there because you just did it you got to the end and you're a mile from the end and the cheering's going on whatever you get this adrenaline and an hour ago you were thinking about quitting now you might run your fastest mile of the entire event right so it's there and that's proof that it's there so how do we how do we get to it I think it was my brother asked me when I was training for my first marathon. He said, "What do you do when you know, like, stuff starts to hurt and you get to, you know, mile 20 and you're, you just feel like crap?" And I said, "One thing that I've come to realize is that eventually that feeling of, oh my God, I can't take another step, passes, and you feel better than you did before. Exactly what you said. Eventually, that feeling starts to go away." and you feel better than when you started the race. Yeah. It's crazy how your mind and your body works like that. Yeah. Um, the thousand miles to Nome though, give me some specifics about like, what was, so what moment were you at your lowest? Because we all have those moments in races too and you can remember them where you're, you're thinking, uh, my first Ironman, I remember being in the swim probably 500 yards out and thinking, I can't do this. Because I couldn't get out of the pack and I couldn't take a full stroke. And I'm thinking, I can't, there's no way I can do this. And then somehow I just said, just put your head down and go. So what was that moment for you in the Iditarod Trail Invitational? It's a great lesson. Just put your head down and go. And eventually the pack parts. Yeah, yep. And you, you can see, and things get better. Mm -hmm. And, but yeah, there were there were moments and times on the Iditarod. I can remember specifically on the Yukon River, which was just 120 miles of hell. And I was walking the bike mostly, riding some. Uh, but we came, or I came around uh, a little island, if you will. <clears throat> and because of that and the way that the wind was blowing, the snow was piling up there, drifting. Mm -hmm. And you can't go around it because you'd go out more onto the river and it's even more soft out there and, and the, the river was starting to melt under our feet so you didn't want to go off the beaten path anyway but it was 
starting to get dark and there was no one around and all of a sudden I was just barely able to move. It was deep and so between slowing my feet down and pushing the bike, I just could barely move. It was almost like quicksand. And I can remember this uh, dog mushing team coming around me and there wasn't a whole lot of visibility and then it was going across the river towards the other side and then it would go up but as you know as they disappeared and you could see them going four or five miles an hour and I could barely move I can remember thinking you know just screaming cussing at the top of my lungs just almost panicked like what am I going to do you know where am I going to go I can't just like what you were saying with the with the pack and um, you you calm yourself down a little bit and and just keep moving and you know in another hundred meters I got started to get away from the island and this drift started to you know go away a little bit and then you go and by that time you start to kind of read the land and so you rem you know that in the middle of the river it sucks because it's exposed and the wind blows and it can drift but if you get to that other river bank which you know was a half mile which seemed like an eternity but you think but yeah there was just despair and then another place called the happy steps <laughs> which is which weren't so happy <laughs> I, I don't know why they call it that <laughs> I have no idea how that you came off of this flat river area and then there was this area called the happy steps and it is I mean it's it's like this and uh, the incline is what what would you the grade? I, I, I know 45 percent I don't know I mean it's like it looks like a walk it's it is so steep and I'd I'd been there last year for the 350 mile race um, but it was colder this year so it was really hard and I went maybe two three steps um, pushing you push your bike up over your head and you'd lock the brakes and then you'd move like a half a foot and then you'd push it again and lock your brakes and by the second time I did that just me and the bike just slid back down oh. the three or four feet and there was nobody around me and I didn't know if there was somebody within two hours of me or four hours of me and you really don't want to just hang out I mean it was a beautiful day but <laughs> you're you're wanting to make forward progress right and I tried it a couple more times with the same result me and the bike would just slide back down we were only making it maybe three or four feet and it was probably only 15 feet the really steep part and then it sort of just became happier <laughs> so how <laughs> did you get up you just kept doing that no so uh i had to i had to eventually undress my whole bike so i took the sleeping bag roll off and threw it as far as I could and just like the perfect Saturday morning cartoon it would make it just about to the little ridge that would go up and but it wouldn't make it quite and I'd watch it 
oh shit and i'd have to get out of the way because it would you know it was not it's like this big and it's rolling back so it took me maybe three times to throw that all the way up and uh and then i had bags on the front and i'd throw those all the way up and then i still had a 22 pound bicycle and so you know i'd hold it behind me and you know i just crawl and i i made it maybe halfway and lost my footing and we slid eight feet back down and by this time i'm just in a rage plus you're physically spent yeah and and i there's no again (laughs) you got you got to get up you're not going there's no going back you have to do it and you know so i'm just screaming mad and slide all the way back down and eventually eventually made it up got my bike all put together and i was just about to start then pushing it up the remainder of the happy step area and of course right at that moment two other bikers come and i watch them help each other and go up that section in one minute and it took me 45 minutes (laughs) so it was it was perfect in every way great keystone cops comedy unless you're the one doing it doing it living it (laughs) yeah yeah but it was all of those things were exactly like you said the key to the Iditarod or any great challenge when things get tough is realizing it's not going to last forever and believing in that because when times do get tough if you it, it, it was easy at many different times to think, I'm in a whiteout. I can't see my hand in front of my face. It's going to stay that way the rest of the race. That's what your mind wants you to believe. So you'll just, it's there to keep you safe. And so it's just doing what it's supposed to do. So you need to be able to recognize that and not give that voice very much attention. Um. I know a lot of people out there want to know some very specific things about your race, like um, what kind of bike do you have? Um, people geek out over I know equipment. I know. So, any favorite? Like, what are some of your favorite pieces of equipment? My parka. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything that With- anything that keeps the world out. So there are times when. Maybe it's the bitter cold, or maybe it's the wind, or maybe it's the, in this case, for the first time, maybe in the history of the race, on the Yukon River, it rained twice. And that's miserable. That's got to be miserable. There's nothing more dangerous, I don't think. You're you're prepared for minus 40 below, uh, but it's dry. But if you if you get soaking wet at 30 degrees or 25 degrees. That's just soaking, everybody will tell you, water in any shape or form in winter racing is the worst thing, whether it's self-generated via sweat or heaven. And um, so anything that keeps that out, I actually packed a raincoat. I saw that it could get warm. I didn't think it would get rain warm, but I thought there's a possibility for wet snow, which would soak a down coat. You'd still be warm, but if you had to stop and those kind of things, it would just make for, so I actually had a raincoat. So things that kept the elements at bay would make you feel safe. So between goggles and 
a face system, a mask that could completely cover my face, and a hood with a big Wolverine ruff around it. Uh, those kind of things when the weather, or a raincoat, when the weather got bad, I could go into this cocoon and sort of say, you can't touch me. Like, I, I got this, I'm prepared for you. And so I'm in here where it's safe, even though all hell's breaking loose around me. So those, those pieces of gear, my sleep system with my bivy, again, there's just no amount of weather that I couldn't find a place, dig a hole, get out of the situation, get in that and knock out and just be completely comfortable and safe. And so that those pieces of equipment specifically, the bike, obviously she's my girl. We've gone everywhere together. I owe her everything, um, never lets me down, that sort of thing. But those pieces of gear, when the shit really started to hit the fan, where I was able to be like, okay, my mind really is going ape right now. So I need to be able to remind it that it's okay. If it really gets bad, we'll pull over, we'll dig a hole, we'll set up camp, I'll make dinner, nice and cozy, we'll go to, and then you'd be able to calm yourself down and get back to business. I don't think people fully realize that when you're doing this race, that's you are often digging a hole and that's where you sleep. It's not like you ride from one hotel to the next. Mm. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible to me that you're sleeping in the snow. You, you prepare yourself for really surviving. It's really kind of a survival race. Yeah, it is. We were talking about it last night. We were, as you know, we're working on this movie. And so last night we were, we were talking about some of these things, doing some narration stuff. And um, there there was this conversation about this event. It is a race, but it's interesting in that it feels like everybody that gets to Nome wins first prize. You know, Peter Inman and another guy, and I think I was the eighth person to cross the line, but there's never this conversation of how long did it take you? There's, it, it is Remind this, everyone though too, how long it did take you. 26 days, four hours, 29 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did not want even one more second on that trail. <laughs> but there is, there is this um, survival aspect to it, which is if you, there's something for me, and I think for most all of us, I think all of us have adventure in us. Anybody, even if they haven't been outside in the last 15 years, if you took them out and let them watch a sunset and kept them nice and warm and cooked them a meal outside and they spent the night outside, they would wake up the next morning and they would be like, I haven't felt this alive in years. And as you up the ante in the wildness of the place, the more alive you feel. But you, there is a responsibility in that to make sure you know what the hell you're doing mm -hmm. so, that, so that when it is raging, you're able to be in a place, whether it's in your parka, in your bivy, whatever the thing may be, where you can be like, wow, 
all hell is busting loose all around me and I'm cool in the gang. Every, <laughs> everything's, everything's groovy. But yeah, there's sometimes you would, in this deserted village of Iditarod that used to be a gold boom town, it was, there was a cabin with just a little three, four pieces of wood, no roof, no walls, and you lay your system out and you're laying there and they don't have a number for how many stars you're looking at. And that's the payoff. That's the payoff. You're in the wildest places and completely alone, but you're not. You're just, you're just not around humans, but you're not alone. Um. There's something about quieting the mind. You talk about this, about quieting the mind. Uh, You're the, so good at this. The way <laughs> These are great questions. Well, the way I quiet my mind when I'm thinking, I can't do this, I can't finish this, what am I going to do, what's coming up next, that's going to be a roadblock. I have kind of mantras that I say to myself. How do you quiet your mind? How do you quiet those voices that tell you you can't? Because we all have them. This is why I'm here. That's it for me. When it, when it gets tough, whenever the challenge is, the mantra, if you will, or the reminder is, dude, this is, this is why you're here. This is where the growth occurs. Everything up to this, it's just lifting your pinky. You could do it in your sleep. Until, and if it's your first 5K, that might be the first 500 meters, or it might be the first mile, where you're just like, <laughs> every, right? So it doesn't matter the distance, but at some point in your challenge, whether it's a physical challenge or it's starting a new business or trying to become a better parent or whatever the case may be, eventually it's gonna start to suck it's gonna come. If it doesn't, then the challenge isn't worth a damn. Mm -hmm. Like if you're just like, oh, 5K, I didn't break a sweat, my heart rate's still at 87, that's no challenge. You might've had fun, but that's no challenge. But when you get to the point that something starts to go off, there's some alarm, physical, mental, spiritual, for me, that's where I go, all right. Now I'm growing. And so I, flip the discomfort into something that I'm grateful for. Like, because if, if there's no challenge, if there's no suffering, there can't be any growth. It's, it's just an impossibility. You have to stretch yourself to grow. And so those places then I just want to hold on as long as I can, because as you continue to grow, it takes longer to get back there. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I went back to do the 350, it's not the unless same. something unless something crazy happens, there's no challenge there. It doesn't mean it's not going to be wonderful, but there's probably not a whole lot of discomfort there for me because because I've been there twice now. But the the thousand or whatever the event or your challenge is, when you get to that place, that's a new high for you then it's like man just keep holding on 
just go one step further because that's further than you've ever been and you'll learn something about yourself in that space and you get there and you're like do I, do I really want to quit because to get back here I've got to do those 90 miles again to get to 92 which is the furthest I've gone to where I can learn more about myself so so that sort of and then the other thing just early on in ultra racing ultra anything ultra parenting ultra just hold on whatever hurts will go away in five minutes and something else will replace it and I found that to be so oh my knee my knee my knee and just be like it's gonna go away and then it'll, something else it'll is go away. Happen. Something else will come. Just keep moving, Don't and you, it, 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 ha it happens all the time. Two, I think one of the things that I always tell myself is, physical pain is psh, that's easy to deal with. It's the emotional pain, and I always try to remind myself of that when I'm feeling physical pain during a race. This is nothing compared to some of the emotional pain I've felt in the past. Yeah, and I use that kind of as a way to, you know. You can do this. You can get through this yeah. because you've gotten through a lot worse in the past. Yeah. So, um, yeah. a lot of people want to know. I think, how do you? But how do you survive doing this? You know how? Like, you told me one time, Sonia, do not leave your house until you figure out what it is you want to do with your life. And I thought about that for a long time, and then I was like, well, I have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> And if I don't leave my house, I won't have a house because I won't have a job. You know, how do you do this um, financially and how do you make it all work? How do you have relationships too when you're off in Alaska for five months or, you know, however long? And So let's take your example and let's play it forward. So what happens if you don't go to work? I lose my job. <laughs> And then what happens? Figure out something else. Right? Like, what's the absolute worst thing that's going to happen if you don't go to work tomorrow? If, if that is something that you're not finding fulfillment in. It's not to say you just go and decide to be a monk. There's nothing wrong with that either. I haven't met a lot, but the ones that I have met, they're pretty fulfilled people and they don't have much by our standards. They are incredibly wealthy in ways that maybe in the West we don't tap into very often. But I think people resist playing that all the way forward because they know that the answer is going to be I'll be all right. And if that is the answer, then you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a freaking coward for staying in the safe space. Right? And this, this whole area gets me more and more fired up because I'm just not going to be a cheerleader for you to stay safe. Because this goes back to what we talked about at the very start of our conversation. We weren't put here we weren't given this gift to be able to get to the finish line and go, nice job. You played that safe as shit. You absolutely were middle of the road, 50-50, never tried, never stretched, never did any of that. That's exactly why we put you here. No freaking way. 
You believe what you want to believe. I don't believe that. I do not believe that. And so for me, I did. I said, what do I want to do? How do I want to make a living so I can do what is my one thing, which is I want to take adventure, I want to use it to raise money, and I want to use it to find out what is the very best that this can be. So to do that, I need to be able to maximize the amount of time I have to take that journey. And so because I answered that question, now I can start to identify the steps. How do I accomplish that? And so that's what I did. I, I identified uh, a profession that allows me to control my own schedule. I ended up doing things that I didn't necessarily, that I didn't see as a possibility. When I ran around Lake Michigan, I never dreamed that I would write a book. I was hungover, took my ACTs, got a 12 in English, which is like barely sixth grade legible. Nobody would have said, oh yeah, that guy will someday write one book, two books, maybe eight books, maybe 10 books. But because you honor yourself and you ask those questions, hard questions, and take the steps to honor that journey, all of these other things start to happen. You water your garden and you're like, oh, I didn't necessarily know roses were gonna, I didn't look at that blue, look at that, yeah. Whoa, this is an amazing thing. And so by answering what's my one thing and being honest with myself, and it's freaking scary. My one thing was to quit drinking. That means I had to leave most all of my friends behind. That means my entire social structure had to change. No more going to the bars on Friday, Saturday. No more this, no more that. No more being in this group where we all say it's okay because this is what we do at five o'clock every Friday. And I walked this line because I, I've been there. So it's not to say that I'm being critical, but it is to say, I've answered these questions, I've taken action on it, and the reason I won't cheerlead for you to be safe is because I know what it's like over here. And, and I have others that I follow that would look at me and be like, hey, how about you get serious about your journey? So I recognize I'm not even that, I'm not anywhere near. Maybe I'm only 10% of my potential, I don't know. But these things like the Iditarod, these things like these different journeys, answering that question, continuing to always try to answer that question, how do I get more? That's a freaking exciting way to live. And so when we play your thing forward, I wouldn't have a job. Well, most people will say, that's where I end the conversation because I can't step out of that zone. But if you keep walking it all back in the quiet place all by yourself, you'll eventually get to a place where you're like, all right, that's what I want to do, so how do I accomplish it? I think I want to end with this quote from your first book. We are meant to live big, step into the unknown, and take a juicy bite out of life. It is never too early to start or too late to begin. Do not overanalyze. Set the goal and take the first step. Get the ball rolling. Let belief be your fuel. With each step, the dream gathers momentum, eventually becoming unstoppable. I love that. I do too. If you weren't holding my book, 
I wouldn't know that I wrote that. And that's just what happens when you're on the journey. You access parts of yourself where every once in a while you look back and you go, holy shit, I'm freaking incredible. Steve Cannon, you are incredible. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Thanks, my brother. You're the best. <laughs> You're the best. You're the best. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. That's it. <laughs>